Perfect. Good morning, all. Um, so my name is Ben, and like you heard, along with my wife Sarah, we've been here for about a year now, really. And as you can tell from my accent, we, I am Belfast born and bred, always lived here. Is, no, I'm, uh, so I'm from South London, and we moved here last summer, and we've been part of this community since. I'm a youth worker across Belfast and Bangor, working with young people on well-being, whatever that looks like. So that's nice and varied. Um, but I wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for welcoming it, us into this community, for having us for dinner, getting coffee with us, go, taking the dog for a walk, and then all of the questions around, how is your house going? And actually caring. Thank you for your patience with us. I know we've probably bored you a lot with it, but we do appreciate it. Um, so the plan for this morning is... I'm going to be slightly self-indulgent and tell you three stories from my life, and it's stories of people and times that have changed my life, affected me as a person, and then we're going to look at um, a passage from Mark and why I think Jesus was a great youth worker and kind of a challenge for all of us to dig a little bit deeper. Does that sound all right? If you'd said no, I genuinely don't know what I'd have done. <laughs> But I'm glad you said yes, you've only got yourselves to blame at this point. Okay, so, um, could we get the Bible passage up? Is that a possibility? Thank you very much. Perfect. So we're reading from Mark 1, 16 to 20. I'll just read it out, and then we'll get going. So as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Short and sweet. We will come back to that later. Um, but first, when I was 15, I was mugged at knife point. So I promise you that is the most kind of intense sentence of the morning. It's all better from there, all right? Um, but my friend and I were walking up the high street of the town I used to live in on a Sunday evening, late April, sun's going down, really nice and like starting to feel the summer and um, very quiet, no one really around. And these three older youths um, kind of sidled up next to us and just started chatting to us. And then fairly suddenly, we firmly knew the conversation was no longer friendly. And um, we'd, we were walking from the church at the bottom of the hill to Nando's at the top, because as all good young people do, we love cheap food. Um, but there was this side road that they stopped us on the corner of and had us up against the wall for about 10 or 15 minutes. And um, I, don't, I genuinely can't remember how this next bit happened, but... Um, my friend next to me kind of took a step and just shouted, run, at the top of his voice. And I think it must have shocked the guys that, was, that had stopped us. I ran one way, he ran the other, and we both miraculously got away, everything still in our pockets. And um, so he ran down the hill to the church that we'd just come from. I ended up at Nando's uh, meeting the rest of our youth group that were already there. And... Um, yeah, those that know me will not be surprised that I still went to go and get food. It's fair enough. Um, 
Yet so, I went and told them what happened, and my friend's older sisters were there, so they got in their cars and drove down to meet him. Um, I had some food, and then some of the older guys took me. Um, we walked back down the hill to see my friend, see if he was all right. And as we were walking down, the guys that had stopped us were walking the other way. I was pretty terrified they were about to start something, but obviously I was with older men at this point. And so they walked past. I mentioned to them that those are the guys that stopped us. And a couple of them called the police, followed them to the train station, and basically made sure they didn't get out of the area on a train and flee, really. Um, but we, we gave a statement. We had to go to court. It was, yeah, it was a long thing. Um, but the impact of that evening lived on with me for longer than I realized. And it's part of the reason I'm a youth worker. Both to be a support for those people who experience something as scary as that, but also to work with the young people who think that that's the only way that they can survive. That's the only thing they have to be able to provide for themselves and potentially other people. So that's story number one. Um, number two, move forward a year. I'm 16. Um, I grew up in the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army run summer camps. So I found myself at a kids' camp for the first time, and this was for uh, children who either just needed a holiday and wouldn't be able to afford one, uh, they needed respite from a very complex household, or they were identified as at risk. And it was for 8 to 12-year-olds in a beautiful boarding school just outside um, Hastings, and as a 16-year-old, I was just old enough to be one of the youngest leaders. And so this was really kind of a sink or swim moment where it's like, yep, you're just thrown in. It's not just one of those kind of, yeah, they'll be here for three, four hours, and then you can have a breath. They came on the Monday lunchtime. They stayed till Friday, and it was very intense. Um, and it became more intense for me on the very first day of my very first camp when there was a seven-year-old who wasn't old enough to come to the camp, who was told that he couldn't stay, and kicked off. Physically abused some of the senior staff, climbed out of a window, climbed down some scaffolding, and ran down the long drive to the boarding school onto a very busy A road. It was a lot. Um, and one of the leaders, Martin, um, called me over and asked if I could go down, chat to him, and just bring him back. I, yeah, this, <laughs> this was a baptism of fire on my very first day. And I remember walking down the long drive and realizing acutely I had nothing. I didn't know what was going to go on. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how he was going to react. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And I just remember praying very earnestly to God for him to do something amazing because otherwise we were screwed. Um, and I got down to the bottom of the drive and about 100 feet away, the boy was sat on the side of this A road with cars flying past. And as he saw me, he kind of turned to run away again. He, he was expecting someone to come and I don't know what he was expecting, but it wouldn't have been positive. Um, I put my hands up and I don't know what that signified or what it meant to him, uh, but he did kind of calm down, and I was able to go over and just chat to him about what had gone on and talk about some options. Turns out the option I gave of him getting a tent and living there for the rest of his life wasn't one that he wanted, and so he decided to come back up to the um, boarding school with me and, yeah, just see what we were going to do when we got back. 
And um, this was the first day of my first camp. I did about 20 or 25 of them, and they genuinely changed my life. I found something I was good at there. In no way am I academic. Uh, the only things I liked about school were lunchtime and PE. Those, those were my times, all right? Um, but being able to be in this environment, working with people I respected who were telling me good things, they were affirming who I was and what I was doing, and thanking me, um, it was like pumped to an inflatable. I came away feeling about 10 feet tall every time. And um, later on, Martin, who was one of the senior leaders, um, a guy that I would do pretty much anything for, he was like a mentor to me, um, admitted something that I still hold on to. He told me that when he heard that I was on the staff for that camp, he was very unsure. He didn't think that I would be right in that setting. And he's a head teacher, so those doubts carry weight. He knows what he's talking about. Um, but he went on to admit that actually I proved him wrong. And he was really glad that I'd been there. And for me, that was, I, I can't explain what that meant to me and what it continues to mean to me. Um, but he and a load of other people at those camps invested in me hugely. And it's another reason I'm a youth worker, getting to work with really complex young people and children with really gifted leaders around me who can invest in me and continue to encourage me. That's a sweet spot. I absolutely love it. Um, so that's story number two. One last story, if you'll indulge me. I apologize if you think I am just being quite self-indulgent, but it's happening anyway. Um, so I grew up Salvation Army. My parents worked for the Salvation Army. And when I was 14, we were moved. So that meant moving house, moving school, moving towns. And I decided that even though we'd moved, I was going to continue to journey back to the church that I was part of before. And this meant getting a couple of buses and traveling for about 90, to, well, 90 minutes to two hours there and back. And um, I did this for a couple of years. And then an older guy who um, I kind of knew from when I was younger uh, moved locally for uni. And he was two or three years older than me. And he wanted to go to the same church as me, so offered to give me a lift every Sunday morning and bring me back every Sunday night. And for, for me, this was a dream. It meant it would take about 40 minutes, door to door, rather than two hours each way. It meant I got to spend 40 minutes there and back with a guy I really liked and saw as a mentor and just someone I'd hang out with, <laughs> whether it was for journeys or not. Um, he was... Amazing. We did loads of stuff together. Uh, we biked together, we played basketball, we watched films, we'd travel, we'd get food, all sorts of stuff. And um, he really built my confidence. He was full of silliness and stupid games, but at the same time was always there with wisdom and generosity from who he was when I was struggling or wanted to chat something through. And we spent so many drives just talking about how I was and who I was. Again, he changed my life. And when I finished uni, I did a degree in youth work and ministry, and I ended up working for him for a couple of years. And even now, I think, if I got in touch with him and just said, oh, I could really do with some advice, he'd make time for me. He's just that kind of guy. He's quality. Um, and so there's those three stories before we come back to the Bible passage. 
There's two reasons why I've told you them. The first one is they had a huge impact on me, changed my life. It's the reason why I ended up in youth work. But also, they're to do with older guys looking out for me, investing in me, and helping me develop. So if we come back to the Bible passage, it's short and sweet, can be overlooked. One of those things of like, oh yeah, that's kind of the origin story, but let's look at what goes on afterwards. Um, there's a few school dropouts, working for the family business, because that's all they're qualified for, and they're called out to go and learn from an up-and-coming leader. In itself, it's a pretty cool story. Just that alone, pretty great. But... I want to look at kind of the invitation and what it really meant for them to go and follow him. And there's a helpful analogy within church leadership, but I think it probably works for all of us, of our lives being a bit like a theatre, where you've got onstage, backstage, and offstage. So onstage is kind of this. I'm sharing a little bit of who I am. You can see this much. But actually, there's a load of stuff that you don't know about me based on <laughs> what I'm not willing to share very publicly. Um, then you've got backstage, where you see that person, kind of, you get to meet that band or whatever it is before or after an event, and you see them quite nervous or exuberant because it's gone well or really tired because they've given everything into what they've just done. And then you've got offstage. Who are they when they're traveling home and no one really knows who they are? Or when they get home and the loo needs cleaning, or they've got to go out and do the shop, all that kind of stuff. Um, and for Jesus, he's inviting them to all of this. Yeah, they get to see the onstage miracles and revelations and amazing things, and they get to see him before and afterwards, but they also get to wake up the next morning and have breakfast with him. And as they're looking at each other like, that really happened yesterday. They're just watching this man continue to live his life and picking up on a load of stuff from him. He invited them to share his life, the good, the bad, and sometimes ugly. And I recently read this book. I'd recommend it to anyone and everyone. It is by a spoken word artist I like called Joshua Luke Smith. And um, he tells a story in the first chapter. I'm really sorry, you probably don't need to read it after but just skip to chapter two, it's worth indulging in. Um, he tells a story of applying for a philosophy degree with the wrong qualifications. He didn't have what he needed to get in. And um, he didn't hear anything and forgot about it for a little while. And then one day, he and his girlfriend are in a laundrette washing their clothes, and this monk walks in to do the same, I guess. It makes sense. And um, they get chatting to him, and they end up talking about philosophy. And they chat for a long time, and get really enthusiastic, and they're talking about these different quotes and these different ideas and just going at it, really. And the guy then turns to him and says, okay, so what is it that you do? And he says, well, this is kind of where I am, but I've applied for this course. I don't really know if it's going to happen because I don't have the right qualifications. The monk then turns to him and says, well, I'm one of the lecturers on that course, so I think you're probably going to be all right. And he, he goes on to the course. And he makes the point that, just like in that story for him, these young men in the Bible passage are unqualified. But that doesn't mean that they're disqualified. And that's the point that he's trying to make. I want to go one step further and talk about the fact that Jesus didn't just invite them to study under him, like the monk. Oh, yeah, come and you can see me on stage as a lecturer. He's inviting them on stage, off stage, and backstage. 
not in that order. You know where I'm going. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is it's an amaz amazing invitation. The status in society for these young men, for these teenagers, they're fairly forgettable, really. They're kind of nobodies. And rabbis at the time were some of the most respected people in society. So Jesus opening himself up is a huge insight into the countercultural leader he is. And they know the chance they've been given. You can see it from the text immediately. James and John left Zebedee in the boat with other men. They literally jump ship. Yep, this is better than anything we're going to get. See ya. And they move. It's amazing to think about the opportunity they had, and they just got it straight away. I've been thinking more about the subtle experiences that they'd have had. So the stuff we don't read about in the Bible, the stuff you pick up from people who you spend the most time with, just those subtle habits and the way, things pe the way people do things. And there can't be any person better to pick up traits from or habits from than Jesus. Imagine them going home to Zebedee and doing something slightly different to the way their family do it. And Zebedee turns and goes, why do you do it like that? That's not the best way. And they say, well, actually, the Lord Jesus Christ does it that way. It's a strong case to continue with that practice, right? It's not something that he can really turn around and tell them off for anymore. Um, and the point is, Jesus was and is Emmanuel, God with us. And so through all of this, these guys had a front row seat to constant revelation, day in, day out. But he's also entirely man. So they got to share the really human stuff too. The dull and mundane that must have gone on during those travels, all those miles. I want to know if Jesus had any good travel games. We've all got them when we're in long journeys. I bet he was great for it. But Jesus calls them to follow him because he sees something in them that other people don't see. And in the very few similarities between me and Jesus, this is why I'm a youth worker, because I want to invest in younger people that other people don't necessarily care about. I work with young people that other, young, other people don't want to work with, and I think that there's something worth investing there. So, for the last year that I lived in London, I met with two guys for a discipleship-type chat every week. To start off with, obviously, during COVID, uh, it was just a three-way phone call, which I didn't know you could do up until the fact that we started doing it. Um, but we did that, and we just went on a walk. Then as things started to open up, we'd go and get breakfast rolls and a coffee and sit at a safe distance in a park. It was all all right. Don't be judging me. Um, and then eventually, we would uh, sit in a greasy spoon and just get a fry up once a week together and catch up and chat. Um, all sorts of nonsense and silliness. A lot about football. Um, one of the guys is a Tottenham fan, so he got ripped into quite a lot for that. Sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> And it was just, there was a lot of banter going back and forth. But we also had deeper conversations. We experienced pregnancies and miscarriages, new jobs and issues in current jobs, family stuff, our own marriages, and so much more. We'd pray with each other, we did Bible plans together, and stayed updated on a WhatsApp group. And 
between us, we really dug deeper. We had those deeper conversations where we were vulnerable. It was the onstage, backstage, offstage stuff, all of that. And even when we were deciding about moving to Belfast, we um, fasted and prayed over the weekend that we had to try and make the decision. They did it too. And they were some of the people who were the most affirming about the idea of us moving. And I can't tell now, as I'm saying that, whether they were just trying to get rid of us. I hadn't considered that. I'm going to talk to them afterwards. But uh, those conversations and times together were such a blessing to me. And it brought me closer to Christ through it. They encouraged me and admonished me when I needed it. But journeying with them each week through the things, the little tiny bits that you don't pick up on unless you really see someone regularly, or the big things that you might only see online because you don't catch up with people regularly. It was just a massive blessing for me. This was only a meal and some WhatsApp messages. For these teenagers in the passage, following the Lord himself for three years, journeying through that friendship, that discipleship with him, the personal impact must have been massive. And you read the rest of the New Testament and you think, those people that everyone else overlooked, look at what they went on to do. That investment wasn't wasted. And the point of all of this, looking at the passage, the stories, investing in people isn't wasted. Whether it's a single moment, like that Sunday night when I needed older guys to kind of look after me. Whether it's those times of kind of weeks at a time, those camps where people invested in me. Or whether it's years of regular conversations, hanging out, spending time together. I'm sure all of you, if you think about yourselves, have people that you'd want to thank God for. Those people that invested in you and gave you time when... Probably some people could have overlooked you. There's always those older guys, older women, who are willing to invest in you. So, the thing to think about this morning is, do you have people in your life who encourage you to be like Jesus? That draw that out of you? Or that you could do that for them, that you could invest in them? People who can share your offstage with, as well as the others. For me, I'm still looking for this in my life. Since moving, there hasn't been that. And I am kind of seeking that out. Don't panic, I'm not going to start calling people out and be like, you, come and get a fry up. You, no, it's none of that, don't worry. Um, but all I'm saying is, this is as much a journey for me as I've kind of thought this through as me just calling you out. That'd be awful. Um, but this isn't something I want you to feel guilt or shame about if you're not in a place to be vulnerable and open with close friends, fine. It's an invitation. It's not an order. If you're not in that place, don't worry. Um, I am not trying to make you feel worse as you go home than you did when you arrived. Um, it's just something that I've found can be really beneficial. And I think for all of us, yeah, do it. Give it a go. It's well worth it. But it also obviously looks different for everyone. You don't all want to be meeting for a fry up early Wednesday mornings and kind of, yeah, not everyone's going to love that. Um, but do what works for you. Just keep digging into this. 
Um, it could be a regular meal together. It could be reading Bible plans together. It could be a phone call to pray together regularly. But whatever works for you. And as Dave said earlier, tables are restarting. Get involved. Dig in. Really invest in that. And within those communities, within those spaces, it may be that naturally you find that you connect with a couple of other people. And you go, oh, yeah, that could be something. Let's look at that. I'd like to apologize to the table that I'm part of because so far I have been to one thing. And this week we were also starting puppy classes again. And so I'm not going to be around for a few more. But please don't take that to mean that I'm not bothered by it. I know that's really bad after I've just encouraged everyone to be part of it. I am going to be around, I promise. I'm just a terrible person this summer. So. <clears throat> Um, so as I kind of hand back over to Dave, there's three questions that I just want to leave you with around your relationships with God and your friendship there, the time that we're actually spending with Jesus ourselves, um, the people we journey with, and a practice of gratitude, if you will. So question number one, are you spending time with God regularly, and is it life-giving, not just well, yeah, I read that thing on the app every morning and then forget about it two minutes later and carry on with my day. Is it life-giving? Number two, do you have someone or a couple of people who you're journeying with or who you could journey with? Number three, can you identify those people in your life who have invested in you that you'd like to thank? I sent a text to the guys that I used to meet with regularly on a, uh, for a fry-up yesterday just saying, I'm talking about you guys tomorrow. I wanted to say thank you. Um, and my pledge this morning from this is that I'm going to get in touch with Chris, the guy who drove me to church and back every week, and just say thank you. Because, like I said, that stuff's never wasted. But how great would it be if all of us got in touch with one person and just encouraged them that the person that they are had an impact positively on our lives. So there's three things to think through there as we go back into worship and communion. Um, but I just want to pray for us before I hand back over to Dave, and then we'll, yeah, get on with our day. Father God, I thank you for who you are and the fact that you sent Jesus to be a light in the world for all of us. And I pray that as we journey through this week and the weeks to come, that we can draw closer to you. We can dig into that friendship with you and with other people around us. And I pray that as we go through the next few moments, that you will draw close to us again. Amen. Over to Dave.